If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I ask you to turn in the Old Testament to the book of Deuteronomy, the 16th chapter. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. And once you've found your place, I'm going to ask you to stand so that we can hear read together the word of the living God from Deuteronomy chapter 16. This is the word of the Lord. Observe the month of Abib and celebrate the Passover of the Lord your God, because in the month of Abib he brought you out of Egypt by night. Sacrifice as the Passover to the Lord your God, an animal from your flock or herd, at the place the Lord will choose as a dwelling for his name. Do not eat it with bread made with yeast, but for seven days eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, because you left Egypt in haste. So that all the days of your life you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt. Let no yeast be found in your possession. In all your land for seven days, do not let any of the meat you sacrifice on the evening of the first day remain until the morning. You must not sacrifice the Passover in any town the Lord your God gives you, except in the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. There you must sacrifice the Passover in the evening, and when the sun goes down on the anniversary of your departure from Egypt. Roast it and eat it at the place the Lord your God will choose. Then in the morning return to your tents. For six days eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day hold an assembly to the Lord your God and do not work. Count off seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain. Then celebrate the Feast of Weeks to the Lord your God by giving a free will offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. You, your sons and daughters, your men servants and maidservants, the Levites in your towns, the aliens, the fatherless, the widows living among you, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and follow carefully these decrees. Celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. Be joyful at your feast, you, your sons and daughters, your men servants and maidservants, and the Levites, the aliens, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns. For seven days celebrate the feast to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in all the work of your hands, and your joy will be complete. Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. No man should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. Let's pray together. Father, this is your word. So we know it is truth, the only truth that we have in our world. And so we thank you for it. We thank you for a God who tells us the truth. And so now, Spirit of God, we pray that you would speak through this truth and apply it to our hearts and lives and use it in a transformational way in each of us, Lord, to become more and more the people that you have called us to be and do more and more the things that you have called us to do. So we commit ourselves now to the teaching of your Spirit and the word of your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
The Spirit of God has already come to our aid here this morning in arranging our schedule so that here on Memorial Day weekend, we are looking at Deuteronomy chapter 16. I didn't arrange this. I didn't even realize it was Memorial Day until late in the week. But here we are. We're already primed for a holiday weekend. We're already primed for a day off. We're already primed to look back and to commemorate and to celebrate. Because Memorial Day is part of our national rhythm. Of course, it wasn't the original intent of Memorial Day, nor is it June 21st. But nevertheless, Memorial Day is the official kickoff to summer here in America. Lots of celebrating. Well, holidays, i.e. holy days, they also set the rhythm for the nation of Israel. Holy days that they were to commemorate and celebrate. And the three biggest of these holy days or these holy feasts for the nation of Israel, they're detailed in this passage for us that we read this morning. Uh, The Feast of Passover, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, of all the features that these three feasts have in common, one feature is the command to celebrate. Look in verse 1. Celebrate the Passover of the Lord your God. Look in verse 10. Then celebrate the Feast of Weeks to the Lord your God. Look in verse 13. Celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Look in verse 15. For seven days celebrate the Feast to the Lord your God. So since you and I want to honor God, I hope, I pray with our lives and our thoughts and all that we do, it's essential that we know, that we understand what God wants from us, from the people in ancient Israel, from you and me this morning, when he says to us, when he commands us to celebrate. What does that mean? Because although the the NIV and the New American Standard translate the word here as celebrate, the King James Version and the English Standard Version translate it keep. Keep the Passover, keep the Feast of Weeks. Other translations translate it, observe. So celebrate and observe don't seem synonymous to me. Celebrate, observe, and yet the the thesaurus tells me they are synonyms. You look it up, you look up the word celebrate, and synonyms are commemorate, observe, mark, keep, honor, remember, memorialize. So what does celebrate mean here? Does it mean to to party? Celebrate good times. Come on. Or does it mean simply observe, commemorate, publicly acknowledge, as in celebrating the life of someone? Here are the facts of the life of this person. We celebrate them this morning. Well, I wanted to know what God wants from his people when he commands us to celebrate so I can do whatever that is. So I thought I will go to a Hebrew lexicon. And there I will ferret out the meaning of this word. And so I went to several. One of the most famous is Brown, Driver, and Briggs. Three guys wrote a great lexicon. And so I thought, help is on the way. So I find the Hebrew word for celebrate. And then I read in great anticipation the definition that I find beside the Hebrew word celebrate. And guess what I discovered? To observe, to celebrate. (laughs) These three guys are also using these words synonymously. And so that doesn't help me very much determine whether celebrate is wow party or celebrate is observe. 
I recognize that fact and I find it very interesting. What do we do? The reason we need the action defined is because celebrate and observe, at least in my thinking, require vastly different actions. If God is calling me simply to a mental exercise of observing, I'm going to act much differently than if God is asking me or calling me to to something more to celebrate. Is God someone who wants to be merely observed? Or is God someone who wants to be celebrated? You know, it's my hope, I don't know if I'll realize it, but that all of my children will be joyful that I am their father. (laughs) That even though there was discipline along the way, even though there was unsolicited advice offered, Even though there were many times in raising my children when I broke the command of Scripture, fathers, do not exasperate your children. (laughs) Many times they had to say to me, Dad, why do you have to be so weird? Why can't you just be normal? (laughs) Well, good luck. In spite of all that, I hope that the thought of my presence causes them to say, Yay, Dad, it's coming. I hope their future spouse, if any of them ever have one, I see you, and I know where you live. <laughs> These red-faced guys, they're the, they're, they're the ones. But I do hope the spouses of my children never have to say, come on, honey, we have to go. He's your dad, after all. It'll only be for three days. Then we won't have to do it again for another whole year. Come on, we'll get through it, and when we get back home... We'll do something really fun to celebrate. You know, are we, as God's people, supposed to need a pep talk to visit God at these annual feasts, to be reminded that it will be okay, to be told, oh, we will get through it, and then we can get back to real life and real fun. Because if the thought of a visit to God leaves you cold or bored, or feeling duty-bound, or feel filled with dread, then celebrate maybe for you something that's more rote, more of a required observation. But if the thought of God excites you and inspires you, then celebrate might take on more of the partying, singing, and dancing aspect, two activities that are done by God's people repeatedly in Scripture. So how do you view God? And what is your relationship with him like? Because how you define your relationship with God is probably also how you are going to define this word celebrate. But here's a second consideration. What do we believe that God will allow from us when we celebrate? Will he accept our celebration, i.e. partying, or will he put the kibosh on it? You know, I grew up in a a Presbyterian church. The choir, which was in the back of the sanctuary, sang number 341 at the beginning of almost every worship service I can remember growing up. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Keep silent. Keep silent. Keep silence before him. 
And so that's what we did. We kept silent. Because the denomination I was in then, as I am now, often used the word somber austerity and reverence as synonymous. And we knew that we were supposed to be reverent. But then I discovered that the song that we were singing every Sunday morning was actually a verse of Scripture. It comes from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20. And when I read the context of that verse that we sang every Sunday morning, I discovered that it comes, the verse comes at the end of a woe to section. Woe to you if you worship idols. Woe to you. That's what your life will be filled with and look like if you worship idols. This is what Habakkuk says. Of what value is an idol carved by craftsmen or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life or to lifeless stone. Wake up. Can it give guidance? It's covered with gold and silver. There's no breath in it. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. See, shh, shh. Enough of you, enough of your talk, enough of your begging your idols to speak, enough of begging your idols to act on your behalf. Shh. The Lord is in his temple. Be silent before him. Stop. Consider. It isn't an idol of stone or an idol of wood that sits enthroned in heaven. It's the one and only true and living God. Shh. Be quiet. It's the living God who deserves all the honor and devotion that you're giving to idols. Be quiet. Reflect on how truly awesome God is. He's the sovereign ruler of the universe. And so when you and I consider this morning, what might the meaning of celebrate be? Silence must certainly be part of that celebration. But the silence is for us to stop, to be quiet, to stop filling up all the verbal space, to stop puncturing and deflating every moment with our own thoughts, our own ideas, our own words, our own wants, our own wishes. It isn't because God doesn't want to hear from us. It's because we need to hear from him. He has spoken to us. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 says that God has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So, shh. Fill the moment with that truth. Fill the moment with Christ. Consider him. Ponder the Lord. And when silence is part of our celebration, what happens? At times by necessity, we will be really overwhelmed by what we see in our silence. Overwhelmed by the glory and the goodness of God. And there are times that we will, by necessity, be left breathless and speechless. But uh, then what happens? We catch our breath. We catch our breath, and that ushers us into this moment and these activities that reflect great joy. That's why we read in the Word of God about joyful celebration before the Lord. Psalm 81, sing praises to God, our strength. 
Sing to the God of Jacob. Sing. Beat the tambourine, please imagine. Play the sweet lyre and the harp. Blow the ram's horn. Call a festival. For this is required by the decrees of Israel. It's the regulation of the God of Jacob. He made it a law for Israel when he attacked Egypt to set us free. I heard an unknown voice say, Now I will take the load off your shoulders. I will free your hands from their heavy tasks. You cried to me in trouble and I saved you. Yes, people have been set free. People who have had a burden removed, they celebrate. Psalm 150. Praise him with the sounding trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in their maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Celebrate. In addition to these psalms, two of which were written by people now unknown to us, on occasions now lost to us, which really is a blessing in itself because the truths contained are timeless, not limited to one person, one situation, but for all of God's people in all time. In addition to those, we have some very specific examples of celebrating before the Lord. When God's deliverance of his people from Egypt and slavery is complete, when Egypt is behind them, when the tense moments that come from realizing that the Egyptian army is chasing you and that you're trapped by the Red Sea in front of you, when that moment passes because God miraculously parts the sea for you to walk through on dry ground, and when that same sea closes over the Egyptian army and when you know you are truly free, no one is coming after you, Your slavery is truly over when that sinks in and that the deliverance and the the escape to freedom was all accomplished only by the power of the Lord. Perhaps there was a moment or two or three or ten of awe-struck, drop-jawed silence. Perhaps no one could speak because no one could believe what they had just witnessed with with their very own eyes. They could only stand on the safe side of the shore of the Red Sea and stare across in wonder and amazement. I don't know if that moment happened. Scripture doesn't say that it did. Scripture does tell us this. In that moment when they were safely on the other side, that Moses and the people, they burst into song. I will sing to the Lord for he's highly exalted. He's my God and I will praise him. I exalt him. Who among you, who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. And then Miriam, Moses' sister, grabs a tambourine and she leads the women. And they follow her with singing and dancing. And they sing, sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. Because people whom God has set free, they they celebrate They sing. 
They dance before the Lord because they are in such awe of Him. That's what celebration looks like. King David, he was so thrilled over the presence of the Lord because the Ark of the Covenant, that most sacred piece of furniture that that stayed in the Holy of Holies, the dwelling place of God, it was stolen from Israel. And when it was finally returned, and when the Ark of the Covenant finally made its way back home to the, to the tabernacle, to the Holy of Holies, David was so thrilled at the thought of the presence of the Lord, you know what he, dan- he did. Scripture says he danced mightily before the Lord. That's what celebration looks like. And God never chastises the heartfelt joy that finds expression through heartfelt singing and clapping and hand-raising and dancing. Because God wants joy for us. God's leading us to joy. What did Jesus tell the disciples in the upper room at the Last Supper? These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And then on the same night, he prayed to his father. Father, I'm coming to you now. But I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. This is what the Lord wants for his people, for you and for me. Complete and full joy. There may be some of the theologian types here this morning. The bent of your heart is more in the direction of of observing. Observe the Lord. And even in this moment, you're kind of doing this mental skirting of the issue to try to get around this aspect of celebrating. And you may be saying to yourself, hmm, God wants holiness for us. That's what God wants for his people. Why don't you preach about holiness? Well, to you, I would say, amen, brother. Amen, Amen, sister. God does want his holiness. We preached on that uh, a couple of weeks in a row. God wants our holiness and he wants our joy and Holiness and joy are not mutually exclusive. In fact, they go together. So if you're calling a life holy that's marked by this cold austerity and this long face, this unwelcoming spirit and mumbling and grumbling, even while your theology is precise and even perfect, what you're calling a holy life might not really be a holy life because it isn't marked by joy. Because Jesus wants joy for us. That's what he wants. And if the Lord wants joy for us, it must be because joy is good for us. Good for us. Because if Jesus is the source of our joy, and if we can only find that joy by going to the source because it can't be piped into us from somewhere else, then we're only going to get true joy from being in the presence of the Lord. And being in the presence of Jesus is always a good thing. Would you agree with that? So maybe it should be that when we are mumbling and grumbling and complaining, we should stop and ask one another, call one another out. Have you been with Jesus lately? So what does all this have to do with these three feasts here in Deuteronomy chapter 16? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Because these festivals, celebrated year after year, They were intended, in part, to help weak people, faltering people, you know, ADD people all over the map. 
to help us find the source of what we need. Because part of what our omniscient, all-knowing God knows is he knows our, our hearts. He knows the human heart. And he knows the strength of the human heart. He knows the great capacity that the human heart has for, for love and compassion when it's oriented in the right direction and when it's full of the right things, the true things, the honorable and just things, the pure and lovely things, the commendable and excellent and praiseworthy things. In other words, when it's full of everything that Jesus is, then we're strong. God knows equally well the weakness of our hearts, all of our hearts, when they are oriented in the wrong direction and when they are full of the wrong things, the self-centered things, the self-promoting things, the self-satisfying things. Sometimes our minds are like this vast auditorium with a huge crowd, an enormous crowd pressing at the doors to get in, a crowd of ideas and needs, and pressures, and wants, and wishes. And they're bumping into each other, and they're shoving, and they're pushing to get in the doors of our mind. Not just so they can get the best seats at the house, but actually so they can take their place at the very center of the stage. And so here are the personal needs, and personal wants, and they're, they're shouldering one another, and they're elbowing one another, and they're pushing the things of God off to the side. And you and I are weak, and we're overwhelmed by that crowd of wants and wishes and needs and pressures. And so we open the door, and they flood in, and the truths of God are pushed to the side. We can't push the truths of God to the side or give them a place later. Allow them to be the very last in the door where they have to stand around the perimeter because all the seats and the stage itself is already full. We can't live like that. Not if we want our lives to have meaning and eternal significance. God's people can never forget the truths about God. They can't be pushed aside till later. They can't be taken for granted. It can't happen. Another incident from Scripture. Everybody good? You awake? Woo! Celebrate. This incident happened not because the people of Israel were horrible and rotten and despicable and terrible people. It's an incident that happened just because they are human and they're weak and they're sinful and they don't know what's best for themselves. See, God had to send his people into exile. They rebelled against him. They were disobedient. So God allowed the Babylonians, you know the story, to come in and to to capture Jerusalem to destroy it and to take the people away as captives. And they were miserable in their captivity in Babylon. By the rivers of Babylon, they sat and they wept whenever they remembered Zion. And those that had captured them also tormented them. And they said, hey, sing songs for us. And not just any songs, but they demanded that these captives sing songs of joy. Sing for us songs of joy about Zion. God's people said, how can we sing songs of the Lord in this pagan land? But the Lord, as you know, acted on their behalf, and he released them from their captivity. And God allowed them to return to the promised land, back to their beloved city of Jerusalem. And soon after their return, the first thing that people began to do was to rebuild the temple of God that had been burned and, and thrown to the ground. Their love and gratitude 
For the Lord was so great, this is what they had in their heart to do. And so the foundation to the temple was finally completed and the trumpet sounded and the cymbals uh, were clashed and the people began to sing and praise God and give thanks to him. Good, right? But then opposition came. People who had been living in that land while they were in captivity tried to discourage them. And they bribed officials to stop the work of the rebuilding of the temple. So what happens? God's people cave in to the opposition. Okay, well, and the work on the temple stops with only the foundation. And the people just get busy with their own lives, doing their own thing. Enter the prophet Haggai, August 29th, 520 B.C. The Lord speaks a message through his prophet. And he says this, The people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Who knows when that time would have been, uh, when they would have ever gotten around to it. Then the Lord said through the prophet Haggai to the people, why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord says. Look at what's happening to you. You've planted much and harvested little. You eat, but you're not satisfied. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you can't keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord says. Look, what's happening to you? Now go up into the hills and bring down timber and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and and be honored, says the Lord. You hope for riches, but you're poor. When you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruin while all of you are busy building your own fine houses. See, this is why the human heart needs help. This is why your heart and my heart We need the help of the Lord because we put second things first and first things second. That's what we do. And so God helps weak people to do what we can't do or or what we're not motivated to do. And so God knows that his people needed these three feasts. They needed these celebrations and they needed them three times a year so that they would never forget but always remember God. So that the thought of God would not be pushed out or crowded out by lesser things. I command you to celebrate, says God, because celebration is good for you. Because celebration always took people back to the source. Back to God. The source of life and the source of joy. Psalm 116.11. It's a good one to jot down. Memorize. You make known... To me, the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. So the Lord intervenes to help his people three times a year. To put his people back on the right track. To get his people back to the source of what they need. To take time out of their frenetic, busy, 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 highly demanding, highly pressured, but often unproductive lives. Three great festivals God gives to restore sanity to his people. Three great festivals where God says, shh, shh, stop, look, listen, and then celebrate and rejoice in all that you see. And it isn't as if God has commanded solitary confinement for his people. Look what he says, eat, drink, rejoice, 
Take a day off. No, no, better than that. Take seven days off. When is that ever a bad idea? (laughs) Never to me. You and I need the joy that comes from celebrating the Lord. The joy that comes from celebrating Christ and who he is and what he has done for us. A celebration that goes far beyond observing facts. You probably know this, but churches are full, even this morning at this very hour, with people who have all the facts straight. People who can quote every truth contained in the Apostles' Creed, but they haven't learned to celebrate, and so they have no real joy. And if they have no joy, it isn't possible that they've been in the presence of the Lord, because in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy in Jesus. Is the one who opens the way to that joy for us. You might fill a pew every single Sunday of your life, but if you don't have joy, if you don't have the desire to celebrate, it's quite possible that you've never truly understood and embraced the gospel. The good news that at no cost to us, no cost to us, Jesus offers freedom. Freedom from the sin that plagues our life. The sin that troubles our mind. The sin that ruins relationships. Freedom from the sin that sets us on the path and walks along every step of the way. A path that seeks our destruction. That will end in our destruction. And will lead us to a place where we are excluded from the presence of the Lord forever and ever, which means we will be excluded from his joy. Now look, Jesus sets us free from that. Good news? Simply by placing our faith in him. It's a freedom. And it's a joy that you can experience right now, in this moment, if you never have. Come to Jesus. Tell him you need him to take care of your sin problem. Tell him you want to be free. Tell him that you believe he's the only one who can free you. And guess what? (laughs) He will. And that kind of freedom that he offers, at the price at which he offers it, can be nothing but good news. Good news. So I don't know what your view of God is or has been. Distant, cold, aloof, harsh. I don't know, but this is the reality of who he is. A God who commands celebration, a God who receives celebration from his people, a God who celebrates with them. He is the kind of God you want to be around, truly. So what's the inclination of your heart right now? What is the inclination of your heart? And what's the practice of your life? To celebrate or to observe? If there are things that need to change in your life so that you can actually keep the feast, what are those things? It's difficult to believe that the gospel is good news if it comes from joyless Christians. And it's difficult to be a joyless Christian if you are truly keeping the feast. So how you celebrate, how you celebrate has implications for all those around you and for all those that the Lord may want to hear the good news through you. And so you need to regularly celebrate the goodness of God. Here together in worship, we celebrate. In your home, among your friends, celebrate the goodness of the Lord. 
And your joy will be contagious. Your joy will be contagious when you are celebrating the Lord. When your soul is truly singing, my God, how great thou art. Great. How many times then will you be asked, why are you so joyful? And how many times will the Lord give you the opportunity to reply? Because Jesus is so awesome. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray now that you would cause it to be that we are people who truly desire to celebrate you. Father, that you move us beyond the place of mere facts and theological propositional truths about you. And they are truths, Lord. They describe rightly who you are and how amazing you are. But they're not facts only to be listed, Lord. They are realities to be experienced. Your goodness and your greatness and your glory, all the things that make you who you are, give us reason to celebrate you and to be filled with joy that we have the privilege of knowing you intimately through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You are so great, Lord, so Cause it to be true that from our very souls and the depths of our being, we long to sing every day of our lives, my God, how great thou art. Do it in us and through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.